On January 25th, 2011, SDC Foundation, in conjunction with SDC, hosted a director-choreographer network panel on self-produced work with directors Steve Cosson and Katie Pearl. Hi, I'm SDC Director Karen Eisenberg, and you are listening to Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the SDCF and the American Theatre Wing. Hi, thanks for coming tonight to this DCN called Taking the Reins with Steve Cosson and Katie Pearl. Um, we're going to talk tonight about, you know, Steve and Katie who both produce work within an institution, their own work within an institutional framework, within the framework of a company um, that they've both created, actually each of them have created. And I'm Ellen Rusconi, I'm, I'm the now program director of the foundation. So I thought we'd start with a history of each of your organizations. Steve, since you're closer to me, you can start. <laughs> um, okay, well, we, um, we are actually in our 10th season, so this is our 10th anniversary right now. Um, we started, we incorporated uh, in July of 2001, had our first company meeting on September 16th, uh, 2001. So we, uh, we had a kind of rocky beginning. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, but you know, it it it, uh, it taught us a lot of how to how to improvise and change and be flexible and just deal with crisis and make work no matter what. Um, I I started the company, uh, you know, two about two years after I was out of graduate school, so I had already, you know, had twelve years of experience um, behind me directing and various. You know, small theaters, assisting in bigger theaters, you know, getting a graduate degree, and had collected a lot of people that I wanted to work with. So the, the founding of my company came from both an idea of what kind of work I wanted to make and also the people that I wanted to work with. It was a combination of those two things. Uh, the idea of the company was very much borrowed and inspired by the work of the Joint Stock Company, which, if you don't know them, are a British company that were active in the 70s and 80s and um, were a socially interested theater company, uh, fairly political and very innovative in how they developed work. A lot of their projects started with, with some outwards-looking workshop uh, interviews, um, it might be, you know, one show they, they went and lived in a town and spent time with the people there and worked in the fields and and then took that material and developed a play. Uh, David Hare was one of their writers and Carol Churchill was one of their writers. Cloud Nine came out of Joint Stock. And my graduate school professor had been a member, had been the director of Fenn, Carol's play. And uh, so I absorbed a lot of their background, spent a few years digesting, trying to imagine how it might happen in America with fewer resources and, and nothing, because we ultimately did start with start with nothing. Uh, tried to figure that all out, got as far as I could, incorporated, I did all of the the company creation at the beginning. You know, some people start small and do the fiscal sponsorship and see where it's gonna go. But I very much decided, you know, I'm going to launch this thing. 
and if it burns to the ground in a couple years, it burns to the ground, but I'm going to try and make it make it happen. So I put a real board together, you know, got a lawyer, did the 501c3, um, defined the structure of the company and how we'd work with associate artists and all of that, you know, at least in a preliminary way, and produced our first show for $25,000. And... And then worked just in New York, so we were, you know, off off Broadway, um, creating our own work for a few years in New York, and then our our next step really came from a show that then got some interest um, in touring. We got a booking agent, and then started doing that show around the country. So we periodically, you know, did a two-month tour, one-month tour, started building up revenue that way. And was um, that gone missing? That was gone missing. So that was 2004? Is that right? 2003, we premiered it, and then 2004, we probably started touring. Uh, you know, building up revenue, meaning you do a tour, and the tour pays for the tour. So building up revenue, I use that very loosely, and that nothing really builds up. <laughs> um, but... Uh, you know, tried to do what I could to start planning for growth. Uh, was the sole employee for a number of years at the beginning, unpaid, working other jobs, freelance directing. And it's really difficult. Like, I, we can talk about that more, but just to, just to little, put a little pin in that moment of the history and just say, you know, it is so much harder than I could possibly describe. <laughs> At least it was for, for me um, to survive in New York and essentially do five full-time jobs at the same time. Uh, you know, we then um, probably, I'm bad at timelines, but uh, you know, did another show that then, that then toured. And in 2005, 2006, uh, we started... You know, some of the relationships we had created over the course of those five years really developed into into greater resources, um, partnerships that would allow us to take on projects of bigger scope. Um, we were able to get more individual money, foundation money. We're, you know, building up a, a budget. Uh, I hired our first managing director. And, and then we really moved into the sort of second phase of our company, which is more or less where we are now, where you know every every project uh, is is fully funded, the development's fully funded, uh, everyone gets paid for all of the work they do um, in these. And our shows have pretty long gestation periods, so they're kind of extra expensive. So we get money to pay for the you know six weeks of workshop that might be at the beginning. The you know, the extra work that goes into doing, you know, a lot of times we do interviews, and so there's there's all of that sort of money and work that goes into it. Um, but typically on a, on a big show, we'll, we'll set up a partnership with uh, maybe a regional theater is paying for everything. It could be a couple regional theaters and a grant that we have. Uh, in some cases, it's, you know, a few funders a university, uh, play development program, uh, 
a regional theater and then a New York theater that's also involved and sort of waiting to see what happens and maybe do the do the premiere and and now um, you know we uh, we tend to have about seven to nine shows in development at any given time trying to juggle all of those and all the different relationships that that are attached to them and we also you know have some projects that are more straight up commission we get commissioning money give that to a writer carve out a little time for some work with our actors so some projects are a more discrete scale some are pretty huge and massive um and We've how many staff, sorry to interrupt you, but how many staff do you have to manage? Because that does sound like an awful lot to manage, seven to nine projects with all of those relationships. Um, um, three full-time, one paid part-time, uh, and then three unpaid part-time. So way understaffed. Yes. <laughs> what we're doing, and that's that's part of that. Everybody experiences that. Uh and yeah, now and we and a lot of contracted people. So we have an education program, and we contract people for that. Certainly, all the artists are are, are contracted as it goes. If we have enough money to have like a, a a project director who's managing a project, they'll be contracted for the the life for the life of the project. So there's a lot of there's a, there's a pretty large number of people working on all sorts of various things. Like we have a contracted person who's um, Developing uh, like a new media initiative—that's that's part of our part of our work now. And um, but in the office, every day year-round, um, there's there's three of us. That's 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 a short history of the civilians. Um, so I'm about to offer you like the complete opposite end of the spectrum, which should be interesting. Uh, so I'm part of a company called Pearl Demore, which is essentially me and my collaborator, Lisa Demore. And um, we did our first project together in 1997 in Austin, Texas, where we had, um, she had just finished graduate school there. She was primarily a playwright and performer, and I had moved there to direct with some for another company there. And we came together over a shared interest in site specificity and um, started making projects that were really un not commercially tenable in any way. Our first piece was in a grove on the side of trees on the side of a road, and it lasted 14 hours. And then our next piece was in this little empty boutique space in a little shopping center that 15 people could see at a time that we did like many times in a day. And it wasn't, and we sort of purposely actually stayed away from calling ourselves a company. We, for the longest time, for nine years or so, were just like, oh, Katie Pearl and Lisa Damore, that's it, we're just making another project. Oh, should we make, what, what, what should our next project be? Oh, this is a project by Katie Pearl and Lisa Damore. And um, through strong relationships with organizations like New Dramatists and the Playwright Center in Minneapolis, um, uh, through um, city and state granting organizations first, um, things like the Jerome Foundation next, and um, 
spreading ourselves through the different cities we've lived in. Lisa and I have actually never lived in the same city at the same time, which is mm. an odd fact about us. Um, but slowly started building a, a reputation that went beyond cities and became, we became sort of n- nationally known, I think in kind of select circles. But we would do these odd projects also in New York City, and then we did a couple just straight plays of hers um, at here, um, d- really downtown, and then we did a we made a piece in New Orleans that we received an Obie Award for, and that was an interesting part in our history because we thought that was around 2003, and we were like, oh my god, we've gotten an Obie Award. That means people are going to call us up and want us to tour this show and present this piece all over the country, and that didn't happen. And we at that time were not savvy enough or business-minded enough to take advantage of that opportunity mm-hmm. to sort of catapult ourselves to a place where we would have more stability financially or, you know, we weren't, we, we unlike Steve, we never sat down and said, what is our f- business model? What is our plan? It wasn't until we got a creative capital grant three years ago um, and started taking their... Um, professional development workshops and hearing their suggestions about, well, what would it be like if you thought of yourselves as a business? What would it be like if you, you know, actually made a website so that you had an identity that people could point to? So that part of our work and sort of calling ourselves Pearl Demore came very, very, very late for us. And we still are debating whether we want to go 501c3 and have our own board. We have an advisory board now, but we work with through fiscal agents still, and it's a um, financial question for us. We are currently making our project that has the biggest budget we've ever done, which is around $90,000, $95,000. And yet our next project, we think we want to go back, like scale way back again and just be very, very small. So... We are not working towards Pearl Demore supporting us, mm-hmm. I think, in the way that the civilians, you're working with the civilians. Um, and we both have very active in lives independent of each other as well. So Pearl Demore becomes a place where we can do the kind of work that we best love to do and take the kind of risks and do the experiments. Like we have colleagues, in, we, in each other we have a colleague in doing something that other theaters were we to work for them wouldn't really probably be willing to let us do. So it becomes a place to allow us to have a kind of artistic growth that just functioning in the kind of normal sphere of being a freelance director or her being a writer in, on a regional or a New York stage um, doesn't, doesn't allow for. So... Um, Looking back, are you happy that you went that way? I mean, like, how, how do you feel about your decision not to incorporate um, Sheena, we talk about that a lot. I think we feel like we were pretty naive for longer than we could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, some ways that was purposeful, um, but now looking back, we think we could have helped ourselves more earlier on. But the work that we've done and the way that we've worked, taken, like the civilians, we take a long time to make a piece. We try to make a piece like once every year and a half. So once one is like headed towards production, we start thinking of what the next one will be. Um, And I don't think we would change that. 
Um, and so I think it's worked. It's worked for us. And now as we look into the future, what do we want Pearl Demore to do as we're also entering new phases of our lives? Mm-hmm. You know, our, our needs are changing um, in terms of what it means to have a stable financial life, what it means to have a stable creative life. Um, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I absolutely can. Sorry. Um, so I would say that we're, uh, I think we're fine with how it went. And we realize the um, drawbacks of having made those choices and are sort of addressing those now. Um, we work, we're funded, uh, we, we exist through grants. We've gotten really good at grant writing. And um, so one question we're facing right now is after our creative capital grant ends, which is a huge amount of support, not just project-based, but sort of full artist-based, um, how are we, what will be our financial model then? Because it's an enormous influx of cash for us and has allowed us to do things like hire a company producer, which has changed everything. In what, in what sense? Um, it's allowed us to not have to do all the admin Mm -hmm. work and also to have somebody thinking forward and coming at the work that we're doing just with a different mindset, asking different questions, has given us a kind of anchor and stability that I I don't think we're willing to give up. And is that person solely on this project? Uh, That person started with our last project. um, And we are committed to figuring out how to continue to pay him when our creative capital money goes away. Yeah. Was that a hindrance at all, working for a fiscal sponsor for you, in terms of getting grants? Not in terms of getting grants. Not at all, uh, in my experience. It's a hindrance in that, well, you have to balance. When you don't have a lot of money coming in, the percentage that the fiscal sponsor takes out is painful because you have less money, but it's not actually that much money. But for this project, for example, we have so much money going through the fiscal agent that an enormous chunk, we're losing mm-hmm. we're losing more than we probably would lose where we paying our own accountant and doing those fees. So you, it's sort of a balance of, but I don't think there's a prejudice against it for grant panels. Do you? It all depends on who the funder is. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what what their objectives are, yeah. Mm-hmm. For some it would be, and for others, mm-hmm. for others it wouldn't. Yeah. See, what were those first grants that you got, and when did those come? And and how did you start? Let me back up, actually, because you <sighs> talked about starting with you know nothing, you dollar zero. So how did you fund that first project? Because it's, I mean, you guys were in a grove. Right. You weren't paying rent, presumably. No, you, we. <laughs> you you <laughs> started in New York, free. So the prices were a little bit. You know, the cost right. of anything was a little bit lower. Absolutely. But you were in New York, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we did it the way that so many uh, off-off companies first do it. I mean, it, it really helps if you can create a relationship with one of the organizations that, that are there to nurture new work. Mm-hmm. So we did our first show at here. Mm-hmm. They worked it here. There are fewer and fewer of those organizations out there. So I do encourage everybody to, I don't know, spread the word and give them as much love as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, here, PS122, um, places like that that uh, have a structure set up to 
you know, to let new artists come in, do a door split, um, offer some marketing support, you know, make it make it possible for you know a few people to put their work up. Mm-hmm. So that that was was key, mm-hmm. and and then I also had a, a you know a company of, of of people that I started working with. So uh, there was you know there was the founding board, there were. Um, the artists who were going to be involved in the first show, but there was also a larger group of associate artists that you know I had already invited to be part of this thing that was going to happen. So then, when it came time to do the first show, you know, we just asked everybody to cough up some names, did the mm-hmm. did the fundraising letter, um, and yeah, I think got twenty five thousand dollars. From that, from, from from that, yeah, from that letter. That's a good letter. Wow. <laughs> That's a really good letter. Well, I had my day job had been uh, being a fundraising professional back in the day, back in my twenties. So I knew how to write a fundraising letter, and knew how to like you know do a mail merge. Yeah. <laughs> so all of those skills came into play, but but it's still it, it's ultimately then your your network like you've yeah. got to. You've got to plan, you know, I mean, certainly like three people who have very wealthy friends um, could send out five letters and do their first show. Um, If that's not the case, then you want to have some more people on your team before you get started so you can get a little bit from a lot of people. Um, Actually, our very first performance was an excerpt of that first show we did at Joe's Pub. So we did one show for, you know, for nothing. We got a little bit of the of the box. But we got a little exposure um, by, you know, knowing knowing Bonnie Metzger uh, at the Public Theater, talking to her and saying, "Hey, this is what I'm doing," and you know, and that there are people out there that if you have a relationship with you, they're willing to say, like, "Well, that sounds interesting. Why don't you, you know, we probably won't give you a whole night, but." We'll match you up with the band, do something, show up at the pub, do a show. Mm-hmm. So and that you know, was that was the first gig. I should say about that that there is some feeling that that institutional theaters are doing that actually now much more. Hmm. We just had a conversation with somebody on yesterday, and it was about that very thing about how theaters are now starting to open up their facilities more for small groups mm-hmm. because. We have come through this era of like building buildings and building staffs, and suddenly it's like, what do we do with this extra building mm-hmm, have, or mm-hmm. with this extra space that we have? Mm-hmm. So it is a good time, possibly, to start approaching people. Yeah, it's also, I mean, ultimately, it depends on what kind of work you're making. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, unless you are, unless you are so special that you're doing something that has never happened before, chances are. Um, the kind of work you're doing is going to align with some pre-existing institution, mm-hmm. especially in New York, where there are so many. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, then you either cultivate a relationship with that institution, or you might already have one. And and ultimately, you know, those institutions have op- hopefully have some open channels to mm-hmm. bring in new work. Mm-hmm. So. The public ended up being a real, a real key partner for us when we got started because, you know, not only did they give us the pub for a little experiment, um, but 
when we when we started our next show, which uh, we workshopped in the back room of the old Galapagos. Mm-hmm. Anyone who remembers there with like a heavy metal band on the other side of the wall. <laughs> um, but again, like you get something on its feet, you get your people that you know who could open the next door to come see it. And then, you know, and then that show was then in the public's new work now. Uh, and I think our next two shows did the public new work now mm-hmm. festivals. So then you had a chance, you know, to be seen by a different audience, to start creating relationship with the rest of an institution. And, uh, and that may not mean a production right away or money right away, but... Uh, you um, you're always you're always going to be benefited by working in relationship with mm-hmm. with other people. Well, given that and finding those people who actually care about what you're doing and want to support it, share an interest. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think n- recognizing that time. It, building relationships takes a long time. That you s- meet somebody one year and ten years later they're the ones calling you up and saying like hey I think now's the time for you to come for us to do a project together for us to commission you or that's been our experience Mm -hmm. I'll also throw just again thinking about that beginning beginning time that it's really in your interest to to be articulate about what you're doing and and to be specific um, because some of those first opportunities and those first relationships are going to be are going to happen because you're introduced to somebody or you attend an event and somebody says oh this is my friend she programs the da 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 um, and you want to be able to say oh I'm starting a company this is what we do um, tell me about your program this is what we could do with your program and Mm-hmm. You know, especially for that first thing. Mm-hmm. That first thing, you don't want to wait 10 years. You right. know, right. that same relationship. Right. You know, some of those first people who helped right. us out that, you know, then got us right. like, you got the back room at Galapagos for five days. Right. That same person. Now is Now, running, 10 years later, yeah. is probably running something. Because they also have moved up in their careers. And yeah. so everybody sort of moves together. Yeah, Somewhere. and then you know, and then people start moving, yeah. and you start moving and yeah. working other parts of the country, yeah. and then you know, ultimately, you have a national right. network of yeah. of people who you have these long relationships with that you are, you know, I would, making the whole machine happen. I would say too that you know the reason why you start your own company or you start doing your own work is because you have a an an interest that is specific to you, or at least that feels specific to you, even though you might find that tons of people share it. And so to to fight the impulse to, like, have fancy um, catchphrases or, you know, like, I want to sound good or this notion of grant speak to to describe what you're doing, it's new, innovative, whatever, that that's much less interesting. It's a much less interesting way to describe your own impulses than to just, like, sit with yourself and say, well, how would I talk about what I love to do mm-hmm. and use that as your starting point and when you're having those conversations that Steve is talking about to be able to connect in a very personal 
way. Like, this is my passion and my interest and my question. Like, the question I'm thinking about right now and that our company is sort of fooling with right now is this. And, you know, is that a question you're also interested in? Let's, we might be able to explore it together this way rather than, like, here I am on the next new thing, you know. People, we're all in this industry because we're interested in questions that we're trying to like puzzle out or solve or things that we're trying to do. And the people on the other end, on the producing end, are, are the same as you. You know, they want to find, they're hungry to find exciting connections as well. And I believe that that comes from like your personal specific way of seeing what you're doing. How significant was that first production choice or second production choice? But really, like in your case, first production choice because of this opening, these opening doors. Um, I mean, for us, our first production was important for us to learn how to make the work that we wanted to make. So it was more important artistically, I think, um, in that we... You know, had a group of people, had some ideas, you know, committed to a date and then made a show and did the trial by fire. Uh, learned a lot, applied that to the to the next show. And, you know, and I think this is the, the next show, uh, you know, we also learned a lot artistically and, and, and grew with that. But with the idea that, you know, what we what we want to do is build a company that can actually sustain itself, you know, and you know, and truthfully, all the while thinking, well, this is this is never gonna work. Like it's impossible. <laughs> like you know, your one one little minnow is gonna survive from you know, what is it, the um for the Nancy Quinn fund, there are, you know, five hundred theater companies in New York under a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. So when you're you know, when you've got those twenty five thousand dollars you're like, well wow, there's there's 500 other people, groups yeah. doing this. Anyhow, uh, you know, we had a little board retreat, I think, before that second show and and sort of worked up a plan and looked at the options. And uh, and it, it's kind of ridiculous, but we came to the conclusion, like, well, either the next show is ridiculously successful or this is not going to work. And what um, was your next show? It was gone missing, okay. and then it was it was pretty successful. Right. And like, wow! Well, <laughs> you just need to like write it on a piece of, of butcher paper, um, <laughs> which uh, you know to this to this day I um, I don't really do it as much as I should. But uh, I remember reading that Vanessa Williams when asked like you know about her role in Kiss the Spider Woman, she said, "Well, just when I want to do something, I write it down in my day timer." Yeah. She wrote down like, "Be a star in a Broadway play." And a year later, she was in a Broadway play. Yeah. Write things down. Rob Ashford, actually, we did a one-on-one with him, and he was saying he has this whole idea box into which he puts ideas or he writes an idea down, and, and you know, that's it's a kind of I'm a sorry, similar thing. Oh, sorry. Um, he was, Rob Ashford was saying he has an idea box that he kind of puts everything in. And, you know, he might write, write something down or he might clip something out of the paper, but it's a similar kind of thing because then it's all in one place, you know where it is, and... Yeah, but the planning, I mean, yeah, it was nice that that show happened to, like, catch when it did. And maybe if it hadn't, we would have survived. I really don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the, the at least for us and what we wanted to accomplish, 
you know, acting like an organization from the get-go, uh, you know, gives you a much better chance of becoming an organization. Right. You know, that we, you know, had no money, but, you know, we had a board, and our board took it seriously, and we did strategic planning, and we got together, did the retreat, had committees, went through an analysis, um, had, you know, board members using their different skills, looking at how we, looking at, like, at our communication strategies, you know, behaving as if we were somebody mm-hmm. when we were really scrambling to make it all happen, so that when, uh, yeah, when Gone Missing got very well-reviewed in New York, and we had a very big crowd coming, then, you know, we'd already done a lot of the cultivation work, so that we knew we knew had to who had to be in those seats to see that show in the one month that was going to mm-hmm. run. Um, you know, because that that's I think a very important thing of your of your first and second show. You gotta you gotta plan for it to be successful, and then whatever happens, you at least plan for the best mm-hmm. outcome. Because suddenly, if you if you are successful, and then you're saying to yourself, we should bring artistic directors and funders and producers to see this show, like, it's too late. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you're going to close and it's a rental and you're, and you're out. Mm-hmm. And then you've got some reviews, but, but it doesn't matter. Right. You know, people, it's, I guess that's the other thing, is like, it's theater, like everything else in theater, it's relationships, it's knowing people, mm-hmm. it's face-to-face, it's having people actually see the work. So to get to the, to get to the point where something can really be a transformative show, um, which is why I'm kind of glad like I was old when I started, um, because you know, not only do you have to have the successful show, but you also have to have people who are going to open doors <coughs> in the future. Mm-hmm come and in order for them to come mm-hmm. you need to already know them mm-hmm. and know them well enough and for them to actually decide that they care so that they're going to come s- see the show mm-hmm. so all that groundwork mm-hmm. generally needs to happen before like you know there's of course exceptions to that rule and all sorts of other things can happen it's mm-hmm. not um, it's not an absolute formula but mm-hmm. sorry yeah, I was going to ask, when you were going about the business of acting like an organization and putting together that board, did you have a certain formula you just said um, of putting together those people? Did you say, well, who knows an accountant and who knows a lawyer and that sort of thing? Or did you just go for people who believe in the same artistic um, vein that you were going after? Um, a, a, little, a little of both. Like, it was, it was really, uh, you know, amongst the artists who were committed to making the company happen. Uh, I picked I picked two artists to be on the board, and and then we really did the work of going through our friends and talking about them and figuring out like who'd be willing to jump on for this thing that's just an idea at this point that at least has you know where there's people with different contacts, different relationships, or different skills. Um, but definitely, everybody was a was a friend who came on for that first board. Katie, how about your advisory board? We definitely thought about um, 
what we felt we needed to keep going and move forward. And one thing, we invited somebody to be on our advisory board who was like an amazing um, sort of creative and spiritual cheerleader for us and had been for, you know, a decade. And then somebody who was a business manager so could sort of provide us that perspective, somebody who's really tied into the new play development world who we also had, like, a decade-long relationship with. So, yeah, we definitely thought about that. The strategic. Mm -hmm. And we did, for what it's worth, we also did an advisory board of people to put on the letterhead to just convince the world that we were legitimate. Mm. Who then, you know, didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. do the same function as your Mm -hmm. advisor board. Some of them were people we went to for advice, and Mm -hmm. some of them were people where we would just say, hey, here's our our play, would Mm -hmm. you read it, or Mm -hmm. show up. But, you know, if you can do that, that that does does help. And were these also contacts? I mean, did you form that in a similar way? Yeah, it was just all people we we knew. Um, But in that sense of... You know, if we put John Guerin and Carol Churchill right. um, and some known producers and uh, et cetera on that letterhead, then when you're some out-of-the-blue thing writing to some funder or a potential anyone, you know, right. you at least have some, some little calling card. Right. So how did, in the early days, how did you guys each keep your focus? I mean, was it was that difficult to do? Was that not difficult to do? I mean, you said you were juggling five jobs. And you and, Le- you and Lisa weren't even in the same city. Right. <laughs> <laughs> how did we keep our focus? Uh, I think always, like, being in the middle of one thing and knowing what the next thing was going to be for us and always the conversation started with well what are you thinking about these days what are you curious about these days what are you interested in these days and we would have like long rambling and we still work that way sort of rambling email exchanges to kind of hone in on the thing that's burning for us right now Um, but it was it was hard over time so we've been working together 13 years or 14 years and apart from our uh, romantic primary really like Lisa is the most consistent long term relationship I've had in my life apart from with my f- parents and my sister and um, we've both changed and grown a lot and have gone through really difficult times of like first being excellent collaborators and then sort of losing our way about how to talk to each other or our interests were maybe diverging or one of us was thinking about graduate school. The other one was, you know, can we date other people kind of thing. But I think always this notion of coming back together because that gave us the opportunity to do something that mattered to us was the thing that kept our focus. even in. And also I would say having at least one person in the group, I think Steve was this for his company, mm-hmm. who had a really clear drive and for us that was Lisa that was my artistic partner I'm I'm much more like oh great you want to do this project let's spend a year doing this and then not think about it again and she's always like hey Katie let's have a conversation about what we're going to do next we're going to you know so having at least one person who 
wants that mm-hmm. is necessary. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's definitely a different animal to to launch an organization. Um, I mean, I I certainly have friends who've you know done sort of similar a similar approach uh, to Pearl D'Amour where it's really uh, it's really an artistic collaboration you know which um, you know could be two people three people four people and like we're going to get together and make work where Mm -hmm. you kind of are an organization but you're really an an artist Mm -hmm. like you're a collaborative artist Mm -hmm. organization (laughs) (laughs) we make we make one person together yeah yeah Mm -hmm. where you're yeah, like you're 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 project based, and you're you know you what you need to do is like make that project happen, which is still a huge amount of work. Um, but the uh, yeah, the simultaneous um, make the project happen as a producer, you know, if you're crazy like I am, and you're also you know an artist involved in that, it'd be much better if you weren't. Like if you're mm-hmm. just a producer and you want to start a company, mm-hmm. when you're a producer and artist and managing director and ultimately doing all the jobs that go into uh, producing a work of theater, even if it's small, like, you know, managing the agreement that contracts with the ticketing service company Mm. um, and not getting paid for any of it and working independently to make a living... Uh, and you know simultaneously developing you're working on your freelance career that also pays you crap mm-hmm. um, then uh yeah I don't know it's just it's a it's it's um there's no there's no good way to it's bad I like, mean it's probably just a really bad it scene. kept how bad it was gonna be I thought it'd be bad and then it was worse yeah. <laughs> and then it was it was kind of it was sort of too late you were already committed I mean you were committed before it seems. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe in a pathological way, yeah. like, like <laughs> the, um, I mean, I guess it paid off, uh, but it would have been really tragic if it, if it hadn't, you know, I think, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was just like the success of the work that, that really, you know, I think for those first few years, it was, you know, my my feeling behind it was like, oh fuck, I've got to keep going. <laughs> like it didn't fail. I'm <laughs> fucked because <laughs> <laughs> I can't, in good conscience, then just give up now, even though I can't bear to live like this. Um, <laughs> because it seems like it might be worthwhile to keep to keep going, uh, and. <laughs> You know, and maybe it was. I don't know. It probably took ten years off my life. I think it's you know it's a deep philosophical question to ask if it's worth it. But um, you know, and it's harder now. It's worse. It's worse now than it was ten years ago. In what, in what way? Or why is that? Less money. Less, less money now. Oh, you mean yeah. in the environment? Yeah, fewer, fewer. You know, all those downtown spaces, like seventy percent of them mm-hmm. are are gone. Um, it's a. Uh, I I I feel like our our company might have squeaked in, um, at a time when it was still possible to kind of develop 
up to a point where people get paid. Hmm. Sorry to be so dark, but I figured why not tell it like it is than than not. Um, it's just how I it's just how I roll. So sorry. <laughs> um, and and I think uh, yeah, if you if you're I mean that said like you can you can have any number of different approaches to what you're gonna what you're gonna do like it could be um you know like your goals might be like I'm gonna make my living teaching and I want to have I want to have a a structure so that I can do these projects that I want to get done um and I want them to be able to happen in the world uh and you know that depending on your given circumstance might that might not be so traumatic it might not be so so difficult but uh i was pretty ambitious from the get go and and also did, had no you know had no uh padding mm. like really really uh uh especially in this city you know the the reality is a lot of people who work in any of these arts fields that that are so demanding in the city that's so expensive you know are able to do it cuz cuz they got some they've got some padding they've got something that's enabling them to have that time and space mm-hmm. and if you if you don't have that you know it's really high risk like you're just at that point of you know every month uh the show like the company could fall apart i could not pay rent um you know my ass could be on the sidewalk in any number of ways um you know and as ronald reagan once said well that's where the best art comes from artists shouldn't have any money um, <laughs> but <laughs> and they're, oh they're bringing that back yeah um <laughs> But uh, I think I think that the model that you did probably like a lot of people coming out of college are like, I want to have a company. I'm going to have a company. And it sounds like you worked really smart. But I think one um, mistake that a lot of people make is that they spend a lot of times, for example, applying for grants that they're just not qualified for Mm -hmm. yet, like putting sinking huge amounts of time into applying for national grants before they've built up local support or, you know, and I, and so this notion of working smart or planning smart and how you know what that is, I think has a lot to do with the community that we're a part of already and using resources like Steve or me or other people to say like, can I take you to coffee and hear about how you did this? Because I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to make my way through it, too. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And that's... an <laughs> Steve doesn't have time, but I have plenty of time. Um, and that's another sustaining thing. Like, you're working so hard to make your own work, and it's rather than getting into sort of a competitive mindset of there's 500 other companies who are trying to do what I do and we're all fighting for the same thing, taking strength from the fact that we're, we're a community of people who share interests and excitements and abilities and knowledge and how can we use that to strengthen all of us? Which I think goes back to like seeking out 
what's already out there in the world that matches up with yeah, what you care sure. about. You know, like if you you may have a avant-garde piece that you want to develop and it's not quite done yet and you want a few days to try it out and you know, and then you should find out about like the ontologic probably all know these things already, but you know, then there's the ontological has its blueprint series, I think it's called, you know, where they'll take four projects or there was the ice factory. Maybe that's gone now oh, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's worse. It's worse. It's always worse. But but there's something still out there. You know, or something now it might be like the chocolate factory over yeah, in great. Queens or And also I think one of, part of my role here tonight is to say and there's places outside New York City yeah. and or outside this whole thing of New York, like cities like Austin, where there's a huge amount of energy and interest in making new work and understanding how you do that and how a community can help each other do that, or Philadelphia, if you want to stay a little bit closer, like places where um, the audiences are really geared towards being interested in generation of work. And if you want to start a company, it, it, it is worth thinking, like, to just should I just leave and move to Philadelphia? Yeah. Because there's much more money. Um, there's funders who are interested in giving money to startup work, independent artists. You could be one person with an idea and get a twenty, thirty thousand dollar Pew grant to launch your project. It's not going to happen here. Yeah. You and, know. And there's also less competition for ticket sales and for attention in the press. I mean, you can get a lot more, in my experience, anyway. You get a lot more attention out of town than you ever can in town because there's so I mean there's mm-hmm. so much happening. Yeah. yeah. Did, Did you have a question? Yeah, I had a couple of questions for you, Katie. Uh-huh. Um, the first is you mentioned about getting grants like for people just starting a company right out of college. But if you are not right out of college and you're just starting a company, but you've been working with other companies in the industry, uh huh. Do you think that's a good resume builder to say to start applying for grants or? Do you still need to get your work shown a lot before you start applying first? Well, I think that... So the question... Should I repeat the question? Yeah. yeah. The question has to do with, um, like, when you're just starting out, is it... Do you need to use a different tactic if you're, like, just out of college and starting out and don't have any history? Or whether you've actually been working and have relationships with different companies and history with different companies, and now you're starting your own thing? Is that also a resume builder? Um, we should probably both share our perspectives on this, but my perspective is that granting organizations want to know that you can successfully use the money that they're giving you. So I think having experience is really helpful in being able to talk about it in an articulate way about how you will bring that experience to bear on this project mm-hmm. is a probably great resume builder or why like that's the perfect thing that led you to be able to launch this project right now. And I also think the longer you are doing your own work and people, and you start sort of playing in a larger network of, of make, theater makers, then you will be eligible for more grants and different grants. You know, like a math grant or a creative capital grant, you're not going to get until you have a good solid history of making your own work. But perhaps a Jerome fund grant or um, a state or city funded grant, you have way more chance of getting. 
Absolutely. I actually flew in. Oh, no, I wasn't. I'm living in New Orleans right now. I'm developing a project there, right, the second. Um, and I first was brought there by my collaborator, Lisa, who grew up there, and we built our show Nita and Zita there in New Orleans. But post-Katrina, um, there's so many artists, both visual artists and performing artists, coming to that town. And, um, like, the Fringe Festival is really... Um, vibrant and the community is really interested there's still like tons of spaces to do work in or like everybody's very easy going there it's still the south um, and that plays into it but I think really interesting people are coming there for sure and and the, the community I think is welcoming those people didn't love the teachers close their doors um, they are in trouble but what they're doing is something you talked about, is they're letting all this exciting scene that's bubbling up down there, they're letting all the groups come into La Petite. They haven't actually booked them yet, but that's what they're saying they want to do. Uh-huh. So, so it's, uh, you know, one falls down, one comes up. It's, uh, it's, it's still cloudy. Cities like New Orleans, too, are so good for your imagination. I mean, there's so much... It's so rich there, and there's so much to see and so many layers and... Um, people talk to you, you know. There's there's something to be said about just putting yourself in an environment that that's that is that fecund. Is that how you pronounce that word? Um, and so, yes. Yeah. The food is great. The food is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what else? What else? Yeah. Um, just something. Uh, talking about the uh, freelance career that also plays craft. Um, does does the specificity of the work that you did in your group or uh, ever ever have the effect of pigeonholing you where you can't get work that you would like to? Oh yeah, definitely. It's a it's a real uh, battle. Yeah. I would say like that 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 was one thing about starting a company that I didn't really anticipate because I I started the company about a couple of years out of grad school. So my first couple years in New York, uh, like a lot of directors coming to New York, I was in the new work world and did a lot at Soho Rep, um, you know, the usual, the usual places, connecting with writers and was sort of on the new playwright, new playwright track, directing a reading at New Dramatists every week, uh, et cetera. And then as soon as I started a company and was involved in the creation of it, uh, and it was a little different than a play, then everybody who even already knew me and had, like, brought me in to do a reading, like, because there's so... I think there's just so much to take in in New York that Mm -hmm. everyone can just think, you know, has to think pretty narrowly Mm -hmm. um, and keep everyone categorized. Mm -hmm. So people that I already knew was like, oh, I'm connected to this play. Can we do a workshop? I'd be like, oh, you work outside your own company? You do you direct plays? Like, yeah, I did a reading at your theater a year ago. Like, <laughs> um, I directed, you know, and and the plays we create are maybe a little different than the than 
the kinds of p- plays I might be coming in doing freelance, but like it's still a play for right. God's sake. Uh, still a director. Yeah, yeah, but it's but very very much. I think every um, you know, with a few exceptions, every director who has their own company uh, either doesn't direct outside of that company, right. or you've got to make a really hard effort to break through that that prejudice. But bus stop at, at Kansas City Rep. That's why I did bus stop at Kansas. Yeah, yeah. So different than what what the civilians does. Yeah. Which I can't tell you the number of comments I got on my Facebook page of like, my God, you're doing bus stop. What are you going to do? It's like, I'm directing it's bus stop. <laughs> but my thing is, it's yeah. fantastic they hired you for that. I mean, for exactly that But that's the, re- that's the relationship thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you, by knowing people who know you, mm-hmm. like, it's not a question. Like, my friend Eric Rosen took over Kansas City Rap. We've known each other for 10 years. He does a similar, you know, he's done... He's generated work himself as a director. He directs other people's plays. Like, there isn't any confusion about that, you know, of, oh, I don't know what you are. Are you avant-garde? Are you mainstream? Are you a musical theater director? (laughs) And you're like, like, I can direct musicals and new plays and classics. It's not that hard. Um, But some people get that and and some people don't. So it was, yeah, it was a no-brainer. Like, just like, oh, we want to have you in. What do you want to do? And the funny thing was, we actually like had the same suggestion. Like we were talking about Inge, and then I called him. I was like, "Bus stop." He's like, "I was thinking bus stop," <laughs> and it was and it was perfect. And then, um, you know, and some like I'm about to go do a play at, at Humana that that came through a relationship with a writer who's part of my company. So sometimes, you know, those relationships lead to other independent projects. Um, but yeah, it's an and the and the really and the media I think has a has a ton to do with that, um, because their their job is to contextualize everything mm-hmm. for their for their readers and tell everybody what it what it is. Um, but by doing that, they need to then define it. Um, so once you're defined, you're then yeah you're in you are you are in that box. So now every every interview I do, like I can't control what they write, but. I say, please don't call us a troupe. Um, please don't call us an ensemble doing devised work. Please don't call us scrappy. Please don't call us downtown. Because um, we're really none of those things. Uh, and sometimes it, sometimes it works. Have you had that experience that same pigeonhole? Definitely. Uh, for me, it comes out like, um, oh, you want to do that? Sort of the same way mm-hmm. that it's hard for people to understand that I would be interested in directing just a normal play because they're so used to me seeing me do these other things. And it's worked in the other direction. People have said, hey, can you come do for my students at Montclair what, what you do? So it also works in that way, too. Um, hearing all the great things you guys say about relationships and cultivating those things as your company grows, um, I don't know if you have, either of you have something to say about any pluses or minuses with joining forces with an educational institution, a university, and what that might give you and what that might take away from the company as it grows. Do you mean like teaching here? full-time? Well, like maybe like being a company in residence at a university or something oh, yeah. like that. Did anybody hear that? Challenges and opportunities that have, having an affiliation with the university presents? 
I mean, I think that's um, something we've done a lot of, and like being a company in residence at a university is going to give you a relationship with that university and might give you all sorts of relationships that are going to help nurture the work. Like, chances are you're probably not going to create professional relationships that are going to help you in future productions or uh, or ways like that. But uh, you know, there's there are there are all sorts of of ways that a university can help make your show happen, um, and and in many cases you need to. It's a two way street. Like you need to find out what they want. You need to imagine what you can offer. Figure out how those two things meet. But um, you know, our our show about we did a show about evangelicals in Colorado Springs, which never could have happened if Colorado College didn't have us in residence and pay for the whole development and and as part of that we had 13 of their students develop the show with us but which was a help for us so it was all it was all good on both sides of the equation yeah um and last year we were in residence at princeton uh and had again students workshopping a show with us and and as the show had a science aspect to it um we were able to bring like the arts center together with their environmental studies department and then my collaborator and I were humanities fellows in the environmental studies uh department for a semester so a lot of things become possible when you get you know you start I mean, universities have lots of smart people there, you know, so depending on what you're working on, you can not only, like, get space and students to work with and a light plot and a lighting designer, but, uh, you know, depending on what your show is about, you might also be having lunch with a Nobel Prize winner who's going to spend an hour and a half with you talking about your subject matter um, and come to your reading and comment on it, which... You know, it was an extraordinary uh, opportunity. And in the case of specifically of Colorado College, did you reach out to them? Did you have the idea for that was this beautiful city, right? Yeah, um, it was sort of. Uh, it was um, so many. So many of these things just happen by like you sort of start start the project and. And if you have a team of people working with you, then then that leads to what's going to happen. So, so that story goes. I wanted to start. I wanted to do a show about evangelicals. My thought was I'd partner with a regional theater somewhere that had a big church next to it. So we started by trying to work with Actors Theater of Louisville, that has a great big evangelical mega church. Worked with the theater to approach the church gave all these pitches. The church ultimately said, uh, you know, we're really interested in having you work with us, but the time that you'll be here, we're overhauling our computer network, so it would just be a really bad time, um, and we can't help you out. Which is the evangelical way of saying no. <laughs> uh, so, so then, I, you know, I'd already brought on somebody who I wanted to co-write the show with, who was Jim Lewis, and... And Jim happens to be from Colorado Springs, happens to have been an alumni of Colorado College, had connections there, 
and said, look, you're just why why try to go someplace where you've got one big church to deal with? Mm-hmm. Go to Colorado Springs, where if one church says no, the next one will take you in. Mm-hmm. Um, let me call the dean at Colorado College, and then it all it all place. yeah, then all found a place. Yeah, I would say my experience is similar to the sort of short, for us, shorter, like two-week development residencies are really, have been a great source of income and just places to focus on making the work. Yeah. I've got a different question. Um, how do you balance the producer and the director when you're in a process and you have to worry about things like um, the box office and making sure that you're able to physically, you know, manage the next project? Does that ever get inside the artistic process and change decisions you would make? Or how do you balance those two sides? I mean, the simple answer is you just have to do both. Like, if it's just one person doing both, you just do both jobs simultaneously. And you will be the same person, so you're not going to... You're going to know you have $500 in a trip to Materials for the Arts to put together your set and so that's that's what you're going to do that's what you're going to do um, and and really everything whether it's directing or producing everything is everything is problem solving it's having a vision and then dealing with reality to execute that vision as well as you possibly can so uh, it's not as schizophrenic as it sounds because you know and you I think you learn a lot when you're if you're doing it all by yourself because you know you know what you want you know what results you want to get you know what limitations you have and and then you very creatively try to figure out how to get it there um, yeah in some ways it's, it's easier because it allows you to make the show what you want it to be and you kind of know, based on your choices of where you're presenting it, who's commissioning it, who your partners are, what is okay. I mean, I, and I, I would say we've never made a creative choice. Obviously, we've never made a creative choice based on, like, box office potential. We, like, have been so anti that to our financial detriment over and over and over again. But it's just, it's like, a, it's a personal choice, I'd say. We try to separate the producerial conversation from the create. Like, we try not to talk business on break during rehearsal but sometimes we do the hardest thing is any relationship you have to people you employ when you're both Mm -hmm. Uh, it's much better I mean it's much better for there to be two different people hands down Um, but I think that's the hardest thing especially especially if anything comes up if you go on tour um you lose you lose somebody, some actor screws you over, and you're stuck being both people. Mm-hmm. Have you found that that's helped with your company producer or whatever the title? Oh, having that person. Yes, having that person. Uh, well, we haven't had to deal with that kind of situation mm-hmm. where, like, you're in a high stakes situation as a director, somebody drops out, and you have to deal with it as a producer and a director. Mm-hmm. We haven't had that come up. Um, but I think that would help. I would say uh, really be brave about having money conversations up front. If you're your own producer, like, don't be scared to say, this is 
what I think I can do money-wise. This is what you want. What are our interests? This is credit is a huge conversation that comes up over and over again. We always often collaborate with like a, a choreographer now or with a visual artist. Ha, you know, just not being scared to have those conversations will serve you really, really, really well. We probably have time for one more question. Yes. Good question. It's, it's kind of a personal question. As you're going through the process and creating and developing and growing, um, did your prior relationships falter? And did you use that experience as an artistic impetus? Prior creative relationships? Personal, personal, personal relationships. Personal and creative. Like as you're growing and growing and growing, did other things kind of fall for the cracks? And how did that affect your art? Huh. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it's I certainly hard to. I mean, just like I feel like it's hard to be an artist in any way if you're a theater artist and you're traveling a lot and to sustain uh, a life with all that that entails. Um, but you try, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it it doesn't. Uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a challenging life, <laughs> for sure. Some people, mm-hmm. certainly some, some people, like, have their personal relationship entirely within their company, and it works for a while and or forever or for 20 years and then you have a horrible divorce um, but uh, yeah I don't think I don't think there was any direct correlation between you know I mean your whole life feeds into what you're doing creatively so so there's that yeah I think I would agree it's interesting that your partner is part of your world yeah, but she's just my creative partner. She's not my romantic partner. Although sometimes it feels like <laughs> she is. Um, uh, 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 I think I sort of feel like answering that question in terms of my past creative relationships, and um, I I rely really heavily on the um, identity I had with like different companies in Austin or my creative relationships that are based there that I feel like my work with Lisa really grew from. You guys propelled one another. Absolutely. And, you know, and I hope that it will still continue to come back around and that our work continues to, yeah, and go back to those people, you know, like they're still doing their work and we're, we're still doing our work. Yeah. I just have a quick question, um, just to end it end it with. Mm-hmm. What we always ask not always at these things, but many of our one on ones we ask about whether someone whether you felt witnessed at a particular time, um, and that made you feel like, Wait, I can go ahead and do this. I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I was asking kind of what the moment was or was there a moment that made you believe that you could go ahead and do this? I mean, most people aren't out there doing their own work. They're, they're waiting to get the job or waiting, waiting to get the opportunity and not going out and, and getting it for themselves. Like what made us think we should do this in the first place? Yeah, or yes. I mean, was there some event or somebody who made you think that, that 
you could you could make this work? Uh, I, I'll answer that in two ways. My, my first answer is no, that it was just sort of an impulse that I carried with me from, I think, it's just part of who I am. Like, mm-hmm. I make things and it doesn't really occur to me that I can't do it. Like, that kind of attitude would get me in trouble in middle school when I would, like, decide to stay after school to do a collage project and then get in trouble because I hadn't asked permission or something. Mm-hmm. So no is my first answer. And then I I think yes is another answer, and that would be when I first encountered Ann Bogart when I was a college student in Japan, and she was early on in the city company making their show called The Medium and just um, witnessing the freedom with which she was just exploring what she wanted to do. And also somebody in a a generation above mine meeting my, my, you know, like we sort of had a meeting. And I think over the years, I don't think about it much anymore, but I think that was probably an important moment for me of like, oh, I'm about to leave college and like I can actually just do this and make work that doesn't look like anything I've seen before. That seems like a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. And moving to Austin, like giving myself a place to a bed, like a home to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's, um, like Katie was saying, in many senses, it's, it, it has a lot just to do with your personality and what kind of you per- person you are. And there's many times I've looked back and thought, God, I wish I was one of those people that, like, didn't just yeah. go solo the hard way and yeah. was like, oh, I could have walked into that great big building and learned a bunch of stuff there Um, so I you know when I got a little smarter I tried to do both but you know I think when I was uh, a college student I was just like I'm going to start directing and do my own shows and then I think the formative thing for me was really I I got a Fulbright to go live in, in Bogota and was working with theater companies that had been around for 30 years, two, two of which had both been like, creators of like, Colombian theater in the 70s um, and were leftist political theater ensembles that held together for 30 years. Uh, and And there was something about being in a different country and knowing where my rent was coming from and meeting people there and so then I just decided to start a company and start directing shows and and then I decided I I was doing all this volunteer work with an AIDS organization because there's nothing really happening there and well, there's really no awareness going on and I'm a Fulbright scholar why don't I just go to the UN and see if they'll give me $10,000 and I'll curate a festival and convince all these theaters to put on a festival and I don't know, just things like that that, that mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't I wouldn't have done if I was 22 in New York mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, you know, doing all of that in a great big complicated third world city I think uh, <coughs> yeah, whether whether they were real or not like I came back like thinking I had balls mm-hmm. um <laughs> And then I just started doing things like that in San Francisco, and uh, 
And really, it's that. Like, you just pretend you have balls, and then eventually, eventually, yeah, the act becomes at least convincing to somebody. <laughs> whether, you, whether you actually get them or not. <laughs> I haven't gotten those yet. <laughs> or your ovaries. You yeah, know. They're, they're strong. Depending, <laughs> depending on your perspective. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so much for being here. This is really... Thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from the Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members.